Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Today, I want to tell you about a time when I was in college. And in college, I had the opportunity to start preaching on a regular basis as a lay preacher in a Presbyterian church. And what lay preacher means is I hadn't gone to seminary. I didn't have an official degree. I wasn't ordained. And as a result of being a lay preacher, you had to take these preaching workshops every now and then. One was at Pittsburgh Seminary. And so I was signed up to go. And I got a phone call from Mr. Ralph Hoover, who was also a lay preacher. And he was actually one of the the three rotating preachers. They had an ordained preacher and two lay preachers. And Mr. Hoover was by far the best preacher at that church. In fact, he's probably one of the five best preachers I've ever heard in my life. And he said to me, Chris, would it be possible for me to ride to the workshop in Pittsburgh with you? And I was, yes, because it was an opportunity to be with this guy who really knew how to preach. And so we're going down there to the workshop. And I don't remember anything about the workshop. But I remember one thing Mr. Hoover said. I'll never forget it. I was riding along, and, and, you know, and I'm new at this whole preaching thing, and I said to him, Mr. Hoover, how long does it take you to write a sermon? And he put his hand up to his chin, and he says, ah, about 74 years. And I didn't get it. 74 years? And he explained. He always starts with the Bible, but then he, he would think back over his life, and he would think about the experiences of his life that would sort of, you know, that his, the Bible basically had informed those experiences and had shaped those experiences so that people could relate to what the Scripture said through the examples from his life. And, and then I got it, you know. And so now when I sit down to write a message, it takes me about 58 years. And so this week, we're starting a new series called Heads Up. It's about prayer. And what I did was I went back over my 58 years of life and I asked myself this question. When is the first time I ever remember saying a prayer? And I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember when it was. I, I couldn't remember, you know, because in our home, my dad was not a believer at the time when I was growing up. In fact, he didn't become a believer until he was 73. And so, therefore, we didn't pray a lot in our house when my dad was around, which wasn't that much. But my mom would probably have us say stuff like, God is great, God is good before meals and things like that. But we went to church, and at church, every Sunday, we had the Lord's Supper. And every uh, Sunday when we had the Lord's Supper, um, we would say the Lord's Prayer. So I remember learning the Lord's Prayer. Probably by the time I was six or seven, I knew the Lord's Prayer by heart. But we said trespasses instead of sins, you know, but whatever. Um, It doesn't really matter. It means the same idea, right? Um, And then I remember this. When I was about six years old, we had a week-long camping trip at Pioneer Lake in Cherry Tree, Pennsylvania, with our extended family. And the first night, my Uncle Chuck, they asked if he would say the prayer before the meal. And when my Uncle Chuck started preaching, I went, This guy, I never heard a prayer like that. I mean, he was praying like he was talking to somebody he knew. He was praying as if there was somebody on the other end of the prayer. And I said to myself, even as a six-year-old, I said, I hope I can pray like that someday. Not meaning the words, because I don't even remember what the words were. I meant I want to pray knowing that when I pray, somebody's hearing me. When I pray, it's like I'm praying to my my friend or something. And I know that he's going to answer. I've always remembered that. You see, that's, that's an experience from, from my life about prayer. And for you, prayer might just be a, you know, it might be a formal term that they use in religion. It, it might be a thing where prayer means talking to God. It might be, for you, prayers like whistling in the dark. Remember when we were little and, you know, it was dark and nobody was around? You go, you try to keep whistling so that it wouldn't be totally quiet and you wouldn't think about all the scary stuff that was there, you know, so you sort of whistled to keep yourself, you know, keep your hopes up that you weren't going to get, you know, killed or something. 
But, but there was nothing there. I mean, the whistling didn't do anything. And that's what some people think about prayer. Prayer doesn't do anything. It's just sort of like whistling in the dark. And some people think it's a religious exercise. In fact, some people think you have to get a certain position to pray. Like, how many times have you ever heard a pastor say, please bow your head so we can pray? I never say that. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but I never say, let's bow our heads to pray. Why don't I say that? Because I was smart like, when I was a little kid. I read the Bible. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, oftentimes it says, let us lift up our heads to the Lord. And I was a little smart like kid, you know, and I'd think, oh, the preacher says bow my head, but I'm going to lift my head up because... Because that's where heaven is. And if I'm going to pray to the Lord of heaven, I'm going to put my head up, so I'm going to pray to him, right? And then I got a little bit older and not such a smart aleck, and I realized that King David said, if I went to the tallest mountain to try to escape God, he would be there. If I went to the lowest depths of the ocean uh, to try to escape God, he would be there. I could not put my head up or down or whatever, any position. You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to have your hands folded. You don't have to have, you know, when I drive, I always pray with my eyes open, and I think most people appreciate that. So it's not about the position. Prayer is something much more than that. In fact, we're going to talk about what prayer is in the take-home point. And for those of you who are new, we have a take-home point. It's the one point we seek to make clearly. And then that you can take out, I can take out, we can live it out in the week ahead. And here's what it is. It says, believing prayer is foundational for Jesus' followers. Believing prayer is foundational for Jesus' followers. Well, what does that mean? Well, believing means that I trust that there's somebody on the other end. It means that, I, that whenever I pray, that I'm sure that there's going to be something happen. That prayer isn't just me talking. It isn't me just whistling in the dark. But there's actually going to be a response. So we could say that believing prayer is talking with God and listening for His response with the full assurance that He does hear us and that He responds according to our needs. And, and that reality is foundational as Jesus' followers. Now I realize some of you may not yet be Jesus' followers. If you're not, this is a great series for you because we're going to talk about praying to the God who is there. And if you don't yet believe he's there, you might find out during this series what prayer actually is and what it isn't. And then you might actually come to realize there is somebody there and you might want him to be Lord and Savior of your life. And through this series, you might come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. At the end of this message, I'm going to talk to all of us about a 40-20-10 prayer challenge, but that'll be at the end. I'll bring that up later. So now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about prayer and what it is and what it isn't. And anytime we want to know what something is or isn't that has to do with God and the things of God, I always believe the best place to go is Jesus. Since Jesus is God, the son of the living God, what did he say about prayer? And he actually said quite a bit about prayer, but one of the places where he said a lot about prayer is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to turn right to pretty much the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you might want to turn there as we uh, turn to verse 7, and we're going to talk about prayer, what Jesus said about prayer. So Jesus said, when you pray, don't babble on and on, as people of other religions do, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. I always love Jesus because He's just so direct. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's like, this is what you do. When you pray, first of all, did you notice He said when you pray? He didn't say if you pray. If you ever get around to praying, when you pray, He's expecting us to pray. Then the other thing we don't know from this English translation is in the original Greek, it's when you all pray, 
When you plural, all of you pray, he expects all of us to pray when we're together. In fact, Jesus once said that whenever two or more of us are gathered in his name, he is there with us. And does that mean he's not there with us when there's only one? Of course not. But in a special way, he's with us when we pray together, when we gather with two or five or ten or a hundred or two hundred, whatever number. We get to have a special experience of his presence. And so what we're going to see in this prayer that we're going to look at, it's a, it's a prayer for all of us together when we pray. And then the other thing about that is Jesus says, don't do something. Don't babble on and on like the people of other religions. You know, they think God's going to hear them because they say it a lot. That is not politically correct. Jesus just dissed all the other religions of the world. What he said is every religion isn't the same. There isn't all, you know, a whole bunch of roads that lead to the top of the same mountain. There's only one road that leads to the top of the mountain. I'm the, the road. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he said, it's not like this. It's not like if you come up with a formula prayer and you say it over and over and over and over and over and over again, eventually you wear God down and he'll do what you want. It's not like that. It's sort of like whenever your children are small, you know, and they say, please, 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 please. And you go, no, 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 no. Please, 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 please. No, no, please, please. Yes. It happens, doesn't it? Well, that's not how God is. In fact, it says God knows what we need before we ask. We don't have to beg and plead like that. So if God knows what we need before we ask, then why do we even have to pray? It's a good question. Here's the answer. Because every good relationship grows through communication. And when my Uncle Chuck prayed so long ago, the thing I knew about my Uncle Chuck was this was not a prayer that went on and on. It was actually a short prayer. This was a prayer that wasn't like begging, please, 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 please. This was a prayer that said, hey, he's my friend, he's my provider, and I'm praying to him. And the Bible clearly tells us from beginning to end that God is our friend and he's our provider. And so that's how we pray. And, and, and actually, this is the thing. We don't have to babble. We don't have to beg. We just bring our prayers to God. Don't babble, don't beg, just bring. Okay, so let's look what it says next. It says this. Pray like this. Now, Jesus is not saying you have to pray these exact words. When he says pray like this, he's saying sort of pray in this manner. In other words, use these ideas. No, you can pray these words as we saw. We just prayed them during uh, the communion time. But you don't have to pray these words. What you are supposed to do is gather the concepts and then incorporate them, incorporate them into your prayer, into my prayer. So it says pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy Hmm, our Father. Not my Father, but our Father. It doesn't say pray your Father in heaven, my Father. It says our. You see, the thing about the prayer, the whole thing is going to be plural. Give us, today, give us today the food we need. Forgive us the sins that we commit as we, for, we, we, us, all of us, forgive those who sin against us. It's all about all of us. It's, it is about us individually, but, and as Americans, don't we think it's all about us individually? But the truth is, God was giving this prayer in the name. I mean, Jesus is God. He was giving us this prayer to pray collectively, together. We're supposed to remember he's our father, not just my father. That's helpful for me because my individual father wasn't the greatest father. And if I think of God like my individual father, then I might not think God's so great. But when I think of him as our father, the father of all of us, not just all of us, but of all creation, then I, I start to realize he's the super awesome, amazing God. Not just this ordinary, like, bigger, you know. This guy uh, one time said, Carl Barth, he was a theologian. He said, God is not man shouted in a loud voice. God isn't just a bigger us. 
God is beyond us. He's amazing. In fact, that's what it says there. It says, you're in heaven and holy is your name. Holy means set apart, separate. It means he's perfect. All those words that we use, omniscient, omnipresent, all those things that he's everywhere and he's, he's all things and all power. That's the kind of thing it says. Remember that when you go to prayer. Because then you won't pray small, you'll pray big. Then the next thing. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when I was a little kid, we didn't put the comma after earth. We put the comma after done. When we said the Lord's Prayer, it was always, may your kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, pause, on earth as it is in heaven. But I learned uh, about 25 years ago now to put the comma where it is in the book. You see, if you say, may your will be done on earth, then it reminds you, your kingdom is already, all your will is being done in heaven. I mean, if you go to heaven right now, there's no sin, there's no lies, there's no nothing bad in heaven already. So what we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus is we're supposed to live out that kingdom life here on the earth. And so here on the earth, his will being done is what it's like for his kingdom because that's what it's like in heaven. And so we can live out his will here on earth. That's what the prayer says. We should not just pray for that, but let the Holy Spirit live through us so we'll do that. And then it says, give us today the food we need. Now, we have to understand that a couple thousand years ago when Jesus said these words, that was a very big deal. People got up in the morning and they worked all day until dark just to make food for the day. They would plant their gardens, they would hoe their gardens, they would cultivate, they would reap their gardens. They would get animals and they would, you know, hatch them or raise them or whatever you do, which, whatever kind of animal. And then some, some guys and, and some ladies, they had skills and crafts that they did and they went to the marketplace and they sold them. But often it wasn't for money, sometimes it was, but often it was in exchange for some food. But when we say, give us today the food we need, we're thinking, oh, I already got the food I need for today. Why do I need to pray for that? You know, when I say to Nancy, we don't have any food in the house. I don't mean there's no food in the house. I mean, we don't have what I want. Right? I mean, it's not like I went to the refrigerator and it was empty, nothing but ice cubes, right? It wasn't like I went to the pantry and it was just dust. It was, I went there and there was, what is this stuff? It's green. I ain't eating green, man. Okay. No potato chips again? You see, that's what we're talking about. But this is in a culture where food, daily food, was a big deal. And Jesus is saying, God provides it, so you need to be ready for that. You know, ask him what you need. And so here we are. Let's say you already make enough money that you have a refrigerator and you have a house over your head and you have a car to drive to get to church and all that. Then you say, well, I'm the one who did all that. Then who gave you the ability to work? The Bible tells us it's God gives us the ability to work. What if you don't work with your hands? Like you didn't have to work hard. Maybe you just have a good brain and so you get paid for your brain. Whoa, then you really should thank God for that. That you don't have to get a sore back while you're making your money, right? What if you just make money because, you, you know, you're a pleasant guy and people like you or girl? Well, then that's another reason to thank God because every good and perfect gift comes from God who provides it. And that's the thing. That's what this is saying. Remember who provides it because if we don't pray, give me today the things I need, we'll forget who provides it. We'll think we do and we don't. God does. Okay. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I really don't like that one. Because that says that if I want to be forgiven by God, I need to forgive you when you do stuff against me. I don't want to do that. I want Jesus to die on the cross, which he did, and pay the penalty for my sins, and that's that. And if you did something against me, then I want to be able to hold a grudge. 
But that's not what it says. More about that in a minute when we get to the last two verses. But in between verse 12 and 14 and 15, there's verse 13. It says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, don't raise your hand when I ask you this question. But have you in the last five days ever said to God, please forgive me for this sin? Okay, have you said in the last five days, God, I sinned again, and I'm asking you to forgive me again for this sin? Now, what he's saying here is before you ask God to forgive you for the sin, why not back up a step before you sin and say, God, please keep me from this sin? That's what he's saying. Keep me out of the places where there's sin, and if I find myself in that place, grab me away from the devil. The evil one is the devil, right? So grab me out of that situation. That, oh, man, wouldn't that be awesome if every time you were about to sin, like hands from God would come down and take you to another place? That's what this prayer is talking about. It's saying before we sin, and here's the thing. I think about this all the time. Man, if I prayed more what it says here in the Lord's Prayer, keep me from sin, maybe I wouldn't have to say forgive me so much. But if we do sin, there's, that's a, the good news, if we do sin, it says, if we confess our sin, he is just and faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not in this verse. That's in 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9, right? So then he says, again, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And you're saying, wait a minute, that's not how the Lord, Lord's Prayer ends. The Lord's Prayer ends with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Well, actually, it's not how it originally ended. They added that in later, but it's really consistent with Jesus' teaching. Did Jesus ever say that the kingdom of God is God's kingdom? Yes. Did he say that it's supposed to come here on earth? Yes. We already prayed for that, right? Did, did Jesus ever say that God has power? Yes. At the end of his ministry, after he died and rose from the dead before he went back to heaven, what did he say? All authority. That's power. On heaven and earth is mine. Why is it mine? Because my father gave it to me. Now I'm giving it to you. And certainly, Jesus showed that God is glorious. So, but it's not in the original part, but we say it. It's okay to say it because it's consistent with the teachings of Jesus. It's actually consistent with the teaching of the whole Bible. But what it really is, it skips right from, let us, you know, rescue us from the evil one to, if you forgive those who sin against you. And here it is again. This, this idea that if we want to be forgiven, we have to forgive. Now, listen very carefully, because this is confusing to some people, and it was confusing to me for a very long time until I realized something. Who died on the cross for our sins? Jesus. When did that happen? Before we were born. So we were forgiven before we were born. We were forgiven before we were born. And what Jesus is saying is this. You've been forgiven by my blood shed on the cross. He hadn't done it yet, but he was going to do it. He was saying that this is what's going to happen. Once you have that forgiveness from God, you have to give it to somebody else whenever they offend you. You see, it's by grace that we're saved, not by works, so we can't boast about it. And so when somebody hurts us, offends us, what we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ is forgive. And when we don't, what happens? The flow and cycle of forgiveness stops. God forgave us, so we don't forgive others. No, God forgave us, so we forgive others, and then we forgive others, and God forgives us, and it goes like that. But what happens when God forgives us and we don't forgive others? I'm not going to forgive Carrie. He made me mad. He hit me in that basketball game, and I had a sore throat for four weeks right here. You know, I had a lump come out to there. That never happened, by the way. I just made that up right on the spot. Okay. But you can see how, I mean, did you ever do that? Somebody offended you, some little bump on your throat or whatever. You know, and you go, I'm not forgiving them because how much did God forgive me? Ooh, okay. 
That's a wake-up call. How much did he forgive me? Well, he died an excruciating death for me. So then whenever I look at these little things, and some are big, I'm not going to downplay it. Some things are really big and horrendous that people do to us. But even the big and horrendous things, when we forgive, the flow of forgiveness comes through us, to us first. That's the cool thing. To us first, through us to the other. And then it just builds and swells. And as, as I get older, the thing I realize is I don't have enough time not to forgive people anymore. I don't have enough time to sit around going, why would I do that? And I don't, I mean, I hope if you're like eight and you're in here in the room today, you'll hear what I'm saying. Start forgiving now because it'll save you a lot of pain and a lot of trouble and a lot of feeling miserable in your life. Because Jesus forgave us so that we forgive others. Now, in this series, what we're going to do for the next five weeks is we're going to take the various aspects of prayer that have been identified by people all down through the history of the church, you know, and we're going to take each aspect one at a time. We can't really do that in real life. When we pray, it's not like, and the five aspects are adoration or praise, confession, which is saying the sins we've done, thanksgiving, which is thanking God for what he has done for us, and supplication, which is asking God to meet our needs, and intercession. We, that's praying for the needs of others. Now, we can't really break them up and divide them like that, and like as if we would only pray adoration on Monday and only confess on Tuesday and only, you know, thank God on Wednesday and only ask for our needs on Thursday and only ask for other people's needs on Friday. But for the sake of discussion, next week we'll talk about adoration and then so on like that for five weeks. And the thing I want to just clear up to the last two, supplication, praying for our needs. When Jesus tells us, give us, pray, uh, give us the day the food we need, pray for our needs. Sometimes I don't pray for my needs because I think it's too little to bother God. Well, nothing's too little to bother God. Sometimes I don't pray because I think it's so big, and if I pray for it and he doesn't give it to me, I'll be upset. I've learned over the years to just pray anyway because sometimes he does give us those things, and sometimes he doesn't, but he gets us, gives us the strength and power to deal with it until he does. Or if he never does, until we go to heaven, it'll all be good then anyway. But intercession, that's the one that's really, really cool. Because if you think about it, Jesus said the greatest commandment there is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's sort of adoration. And your neighbor as yourself. Well, in intercessory prayer, we love our neighbor by praying for the neighbor's needs. There's never a time when we're more loving towards our neighbor than when we lift our neighbor's needs in prayer. When you pray for your own stuff, you're pretty serious about it, right? God, I need, right? But what if you prayed that hard for your neighbor's needs? That's what intercession is. Praying is hard for the needs of others as we pray for our own needs. So we're going to be, during this next five weeks, we're going to be taking one of those things each week. We're going to talk about it. Now, I mentioned this 40-20-10 prayer challenge that we're going to be doing during the course of this message series. What is that? Well, if you get out your connection, which is uh, some people call the bulletin, you know, or the program, and inside there's actually a thing that says 40-20-10 prayer challenge, and insert a little we hope you'll put this in your Bible or you'll put it in your journal or you'll put it somewhere that you'll see it every day in these next 40 days. And I'm challenging us all, starting with me, to pray an hour a day or half an hour a day or 15 minutes a day for the next 40 days. And if you do the math, an hour would be 40 hours in 40 days. Uh, a half an hour would be 20 and 15 minutes would be 10 hours. Now, if you already pray two hours a day, please don't take this challenge. You'll get that on the way home. Okay, because that would be an 80, right? And we don't want you to cut back from 80 to 40 if you're already praying two hours a day or more. Actually, if you're praying an hour and five, then just go with what you're doing. But I also have put down here in the bottom of the list, 
Starting with today, February 7th, day one. Praise God for who he is. That's adoration. So on day one, today, you'll go home sometime if you haven't already had your prayer time, and, and you'll just praise God for who he is. And you'll say, well, Pastor Chris, I want to sign up for that 10-hour that one, the 15 minutes a day, but I don't think I can praise God for 15 minutes. That's okay, because prayer isn't just adoration. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So two minutes of adoration, two minutes of confession, two minutes of thanksgiving, two minutes of supplication, two minutes of intercession, and then you're half done. And you go, no, that's all there is. No, no, that's only half of it. Listening is the other half, you see. That's what people think prayer is just talking to God. It's more than that. It's listening. And you say, wait a minute. You mean God really answers? Yeah, God really answers. Many times in my daily prayer time, I do this thing of half an hour of talking to God, and then I do the half hour of listening. And you say, what does God say? Well, some days, for a half an hour, God doesn't say anything. And you said, so you just wasted a half an hour of your day. No, I just invested a half an hour of my day with the living God of the universe. And apparently, he thought I needed some rest. (laughs) So I just sit there for a half an hour, and I just rest in him. Or I walk on the trail or whatever, where however I pray because I don't really think you have to sit down on your knees or whatever. Every time I get down on my knees and pray, to be honest with you, then I have to find something to lean against. The next thing I know, I woke up and I had two hours of prayer. (laughs) That's why I don't pray on my knees that much, you know? Okay, so, so you're listening. And sometimes when I listen, what God does in the very, like, just like that, I've done praying, and I always, uh, I mean, I know this might not sound very formal, it isn't. I say, what do you have for me today, God? And, he, and sometimes a scripture comes just like that, a scripture, a verse of scripture, a, a paragraph of scripture. And so I either, if I know it, I just like start meditating on it, which means I think about it, I, I, I reflect on it in my heart and in my soul. And I ask God, well, what, what about it? You know, and I might need to apply it in a certain person's life. I might need to apply it in my own life. I, I might need to do something with a relationship that's strained. I might need to forgive somebody, whatever, that whatever the scripture tells me to do, then the, the thing is to do it. And then sometimes, and it's really cool when this happens, and sometimes God speaks to me. And only two times in my life that I remember, it was like an audible voice when he spoke to me. But mostly it's just in my spirit, I, I, I hear, and I know it's from him because I would have never thought of that. Like, become a pastor. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding, man. I ain't doing that. You know, five years I struggled with that. And even after I said yes, I struggled with it for about another 15 I, I really didn't start liking being a pastor until just recently, to be honest with you. So God tells us stuff, and sometimes we obey, and sometimes we don't. And this, I'll tell you this, just you want to save yourself a lot of trouble? Just obey. Because two things will happen when you obey. Number one is God promises blessings when we obey, and the other thing is we'll hear them a lot better. When we obey the one thing he does, it's sort of like if I told you to go do something and you never did it, and I told you to do something and you never did it, pretty soon I'm going to stop telling you to do something. I'll get somebody else, right? So when we hear God, the next thing is to do it. All right, so that's the 40-20-10 prayer challenge. And we have one more little tool for you. If you open up your connection, you'll see these little dots. Mine only has three. Yours has four. I guess one person had five. But the idea is four dots, and they're called go dots. They're green for go. means go to prayer. So I put mine on my watch. See it right there? Every time I see that little green dot in the, during the day, when I, it's 1058. Is this service over at 11? Holy smokes. Okay. So anyway, so anyway, I pray. 
might be, thank you, Jesus, for Nancy. It might be, God, please be with Emmy. Please do this, whatever. But I just pray throughout the day. So why would I do that? Why would we, and you can put it on your cell phone. Most of you don't have a watch. Put it on your cell phone. Put it on your car mirror. Put it somewhere you'll see it regularly. If you're already praying 15 minutes in the morning and half, 15 minutes at night or half an hour, whatever, why would you want to pray a whole bunch of more times during the day? Because Jesus said this. No, he didn't. Paul the apostle said this. Pray without ceasing. And so as I do the green dots, as I go to prayer more and more and more throughout the day, my day becomes more prayer-filled. And the other thing is, okay, so I said, thank you, Jesus. Listen. Then go on. Do whatever it is. Okay, so here's the commitment for today. It's uh, to get us to get focused in prayer. So here it is. I will start and end my day in prayer this week. Start and end my day in prayer this week. So you get up, and if you're going to do 15 minutes for the day, do seven minutes in the morning, seven minutes at night. Or do all 15 minutes in the morning and just at night just say, God, I thank you for a great day. Or, God, I screwed up today. Please forgive me. That, that would make you sleep better probably if you did that, right? And then here's the thing. I believe in these next 40 days with this many people, you know, multiplied by four, um, God's going to do some serious stuff during these next 40 days. Believing prayer believes that when we talk to God and he talks back that things happen, right? And I believe that. I've already seen it. In fact, I already saw one miracle this morning, and it's been something we've been praying about, literally been praying about for months here at New Life. And uh, I can't say anything about it, but other than, wow, God is cool. So let's uh, close this prayer. Close this prayer. Yeah, let's close this message on prayer in prayer. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much for the folks here who are going to pray, whether it's a minute a day, 15 minutes, an hour, 5, 10, whatever it is, God. I thank you for that commitment and that belief that you're there and you listen and you respond. God, we pray for miracles to happen during this time. We pray that you will be glorified in all that we are and do. God, we ask you today that our lives will be wrapped up in you and that we will know that you are God, that you are awesome and super and amazing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.